Welcome. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you guys, and we hope you had a great, great, great Christmas this past week. I know I did. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Did you guys have a good Christmas? All right, good. Yeah, mostly thumbs up. I don't think I see any thumbs down. So very, very, very good. Glad you guys got a chance to do that. And I know um, that, at least for my family, maybe it's this way for you too, this is always kind of an odd week uh, because it's sort of a transitionary week. And so Christmas is now behind us. New Year's is now coming ahead of us. We actually still have a couple Christmas things that are happening, and so we're trying to kind of close that out. And so for many of us right now, this is sort of a transitionary week as we're kind of between seasons and we're still kind of in the whole holiday thing, but we're kind of getting ready to get out of the whole holiday thing. And so for some of you, maybe you're still out of school and you're trying to soak up all the last minute and moments of being able to be out of school before you got to go back and start a new semester. Or, uh, or maybe right now you still have some time off of work or you have some days off because the New Year's thing is happening. So you're just trying to soak that in and enjoy it. I think all of us are getting ready to switch gears as we go into 2016. So for a lot of us, we're trying to stuff in all the last of the fatty and the uh, high-calorie foods, right, the sugary foods. Many of us are trying to to, to get as many of the high-carbohydrate, high-calorie beverages out of the way because we all know January 1 is coming, and it's coming soon. And a lot of times with January 1, when that happens, when the new year comes, it's like a fresh, clean start, right? It's like there's a reset button and we have, a, we have a fresh new beginning. And I personally, I for one, and I don't know if you're this way too, I love that. I love that built into our calendar, there's kind of this natural reset button to start new things, to stop old things that I didn't like, to kind of reevaluate and reassess. And so for me, and I think for many people in our culture, this week can be kind of a week where we, we tend to sort of look back and we analyze and we start thinking about our calendars, we start thinking about our habits, we start kind of assessing our lives a little bit, and we start thinking forward, we start thinking about, man, what do we want to stop, what do we want to start, what kind of habits do we want to put into place, how do we want to change our family rhythm, what are the goals that we want to accomplish this year. And for many people in our culture, this is why that whole um, New Year's resolution thing happens, right? I know not everyone does that. Uh, but a lot of people do New Year's resolutions things. That's why every time January comes around, gym memberships are up, cigarette sales are down, and that lasts for at least a month, right, before we kind of slip back into our old habits again. But there's something about that that I think is really good. And, and so this is where the series comes in. I'm starting this series called Creatures of Habit today. And the reason that we're doing this series is actually almost as a way, almost as a way of asking permission for, for us, for this series, to speak into this process for you. Okay, so as you're thinking about your habits, as you're thinking about um, the different things you want to put in your calendar, the things you want to stop, the things you want to start, and you're getting ready to make your New Year's resolutions, for some of you who do that, some of you don't, but for those of us who do that, what we're saying is, would you allow, would you give us permission to allow this series to speak into that process? Okay, and here's why I think this is so important. In this series, we're going to be talking about the biblical perspective of habits and why they're so important and the power that they have. We're going to kind of do that a little bit. And I believe, honestly, genuinely believe this, that, and this might sound like an over an exaggeration, but I genuinely believe this. I believe that if you can take some of the principles that we're going to learn in this series and you can apply them into your life and you can start pursuing some of these things this year, that it literally has the power to change your life that our habits have the power to change our life. And I know that that might sound like an exaggeration, but I believe it can change our life. And it can lead us into, if we apply some of the things that we see in the Bible as it relates to our habits, that it has the power to lead us to the fullness of life that God desires for us, all right? Now, I know that might sound like a preacher thing to say, but I mean it. I genuinely believe it. Because here's, here's something I know. I know, and you know this too, that there are good habits and there are bad habits, 
And for the most part, that's obvious, right? There's good eating habits, there's bad eating habits, there's good health habits, there's bad health habits, there's good work habits, there's bad work habits. And for the most part, for the most part, it's pretty, to disti- pretty easy to distinguish between good habits and bad habits. But one thing I've also learned in life is that not all habits are created equal. And there are good habits and there are best habits. And sometimes that can be a harder distinction to find between the good habits and the best habits. So for example... One place in the Bible, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, in the book of Timothy, he says, listen, Timothy, he says, um, physical discipline is of some benefit, right? Being, being physically disciplined, like hitting the gym, doing Pilates, doing P90X, whatever it is that you do, right? He says, that's good, man. That's got some benefit to it. That's a good habit. But then he says this, he says, physical discipline is of some benefit. He says, but spiritual discipline and training for godliness is of greater benefit, because it has eternal implications. You see what Paul says? There's good habits, and then there's great habits. There's best habits. And so as we're processing through this whole thing of, man, what habits are we going to put in our life, and what things are we going to pursue in 2016? How are we going to find a healthier and happier way of living? Um, I hope that you would allow this series to speak into that process, right? But today, we're going to talk about all that in the weeks to come, but today what I want to do is I want to spend the whole time that we have this morning simply introducing the series. And I want to introduce us to the big idea that's going to carry us through the whole series. And the big idea that we're going to look at is actually a principle that's found in the Bible. And it is a very straightforward, very simple principle, but it is unbelievably profound. So that's where we're going to start our series. So if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to grab them with me and turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. So we're going to find this principle, Galatians chapter 6. Okay, so go ahead and flip in your Bibles there. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, that is not a problem at all. We actually have some for you in the chairs, and so you can grab those Bibles and turn to page 813 in those black Bibles. Also, if you're a guest with us this morning, you don't have a Bible of your own, just go ahead and take one of ours, make it a gift from us to you, and a happy belated Christmas. You can take that, 813 in Galatians. Or you can also download our app. We have a Grace Church app. If you go to the Grace, uh, the, go to the app store, search for Grace Ohio, you'll find our app, download that, click on the Medina East Campus, and this passage will be prepared for you there. So Galatians chapter 6. All right, now as you're flipping to Galatians chapter 6, let me just give you a little bit of background and context to kind of tee up our conversation. All right, so the book of Galatians was written by a guy named Paul. Now, Paul was an apostle, which meant that he was a leader in the early church. And the reason he writes the book of Galatians is he's writing to a particular church in a region called Galatia. And the circumstance in which he writes this book, we call it a book, but it's actually really more of a letter, And the reason that the Apostle Paul writes this letter is because the Galatian church had a tendency that they began to uh, to kind of drift towards, and they had this proclivity, and they were moving towards legalism, right? And so basically, this is what was happening. The Christians in Galatia started to believe that they were accepted by God, that they were forgiven by God, that they were saved because of the good things that they were doing, because of their moral performance, because of their religious adherence. And so they started to believe this. They started to believe we're forgiven by God, we're accepted by God, we're saved based on our moral record, based on how good we are, based on how many times we go to church, based on how much we read our Bible, based on our religious adherence. And if we can do these things right, then God will forgive us and then God will accept us. And the apostle Paul comes in and spends the entire book of Galatians basically debunking that 
and saying, look, I don't, I don't know who told you that. I don't know who bewitched you. I don't know who deceived you, but that is not the way it works. And he goes on to explain the basic teaching of Christianity, which is called the gospel. And many of you who are Christ followers know this. Some of us I know are still trying to figure out what we believe about Jesus. But basically, the basic teaching of Christianity is the gospel, and that's this, that we are not saved by the good things that we do. That it's not our moral performance, it's not how many times we go to church, it's not how good we are that earns us the acceptance of God. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's by grace we're we're saved, through faith, not by works that no man can boast. And it's not about what we've done, but it's about what Jesus has done. And when I put my faith in Christ, then I'm accepted by him and I'm forgiven by him. So the Apostle Paul spends the entire book of Galatians basically teaching this principle, that we're not saved by good works, we're saved by Christ alone. But then, at the end of the book of Galatians, which is actually where we're going to be in chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is going to go on to say something really interesting. He's going to tell us this, that even though we're not saved by good works, that doesn't mean they're bad. Good works are good. And he's actually going to show us that even, even for those of us who follow Jesus, even if you've been forgiven of your sins, which if you've put your faith in Christ, you have been, that does not exempt us from a certain spiritual principle that God has put into place. This is a principle that we're going to see in Galatians chapter 6, the one that's going to guide our whole series. So let's look at it together. We're going to start off in verse 7. All right, so here we go. Verse 7, it says this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. All right, so let's just stop there for a minute. Let's just read it again. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. All right, pretty straightforward, pretty simple. I don't know about you, when I first read this passage a long time ago, when I first read this verse, for, for, for some reason, and this might, might not be you, but I read it this way, I read into it almost a tone of, of a condescending, antagonistic nature. That's kind of what I read into it. Like, when I first read it, I kind of read it, it was like, do not be deceived. Like, don't be, don't you for a minute be fooled, right? God will not be mocked. Like, you don't make fun of God right? A man reaps what he sows. And when I first read it, I almost kind of read into this antagonistic, condescending tone where God was saying like, hey, you don't make fun of me, right? And if you make fun of me, I'm going to get you, right? I will not be mocked. I'm going to come after you. And if you make fun of me, I'm going to send a lightning bolt to kill you. I'm going to make your car not start, make your kids get sick. I'm going to make you go to a Nickelback concert, like all the worst things you can imagine. And I was thinking, that, that's, what, that's what God has in mind. It's almost like play school, like, a, like playground banter, right? Like, don't make fun of me. I'll kill you. I'll come and get I'll put you in your place. I'm God. And that's sort of how I read it until I studied the book of Galatians. And I came to find out that what the Apostle Paul is showing us here, this is not an antagonistic statement. This is not a condescending statement on God's part. It's a factual statement. Right? This is just a statement of fact. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. What the Apostle Paul is trying to point out to us, you guys, is he's trying to point out the very simple and straightforward truth that in all of what God, in all of what God has created, in the natural world, in the moral world, in the spiritual world, that God has created all things with wisdom and with knowledge, and that God has created in, his cre- in the creation as we see it, he has created in it certain irrefutable, undeniable laws that govern everything that he's created. Now, we see this in all of the physical creation that God has made. When you look at biology and you look at botany and you look at the animal kingdom and when you look at astronomy, 
all of those particular aspects of creation have baked within them certain irrefutable laws, certain irrefutable principles that govern those particular places, right? So for, for example, this is not any shock to anyone, but just a quick example, is uh, like gravity, right? You think about the law of gravity. It's kind of crazy for us to think about this, that gravity wasn't really discovered until the late 1600s by Sir Isaac Newton. Now notice I say he discovered it. He didn't invent it. He discovered it because that's the way these laws work. They've always been there. They're baked into creation, but they are discovered. We unearth them. So Sir Isaac Newton in the 1600s discovered the mathematics behind gravity. And that, of course, gave way to a whole new horizon of understanding. And all of a sudden, astronomers and others were able to start to explain the universe in a way that we never could before. And even to this day, astronomers in the known universe that we have, they would look and say, man, the things that Sir Isaac Newton pointed out, the laws of gravity that were discovered, that governs the entire universe as we know it, right? And you think about it, man, the whole universe, some estimated 200 billion galaxies in the known universe, which I don't even know how you come to that conclusion, right? Each of those galaxies, anywhere from 200 billion to a trillion stars, Astronomers would look at the known universe and say that there are more stars in the known universe than there are grains of sand on all of the beaches in all of the world, right? And astronomers are like, gravity dictates all of it. And so from the magnificent to the galaxies to the stars to all of these giant things, all the way to the minuscule and the microscopic to the atomic level on the molecular level, everything in all of creation is subject to this one irrefutable principle of gravity. So if I was to come along and say, well, I think gravity's stupid. I think gravity's dumb, right? I'm anti-gravity. I'm against it, right? You'd be like, okay, doesn't really make that big of a difference because all of creation is subject to it. And so you're not exempt from it, right? I might, I might stand up on top of a 20-story building and say, you know what? I think gravity's dumb. I'm going to jump off this building. I'm going to show gravity who's boss. You would look at me and say, don't do that. Gravity's going to win every time, right? Gravity cannot be mocked. Now, is that an arrogant statement? Is that a condescending statement? No, it's just a factual statement. Gravity can't be mocked. I mean, you can mock it, but you're not going to win, right? It, it's, it's always going to be in effect because it is an irrefutable law that God has break, baked into all of creation. And you guys, the, it's, it's reasonable for us to believe that the same God who created all things in the universe that, that, that the same God who in the physical world has created these irrefutable laws that we cannot break, that we cannot mock, that we are completely subject to, do, subject to, that that same God would create similar irrefutable laws in the moral and the spiritual world as well. See, contrary to what our culture might teach us, that spirituality is relative and that morality is something that you can define on your own. The Bible says that's not the case. The Bible says in the same way that the whole universe is dictated by certain laws that God has baked into it, irrefutable laws that govern the whole thing, it's the same thing with morality and it's the same thing with spirituality. And so what are some of those laws? Well, here we have one of them. If you look back at the verse again, the Apostle Paul gives us one. Here's what he says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You can't mock him. I mean, you can, but you're not gonna change anything. And here it is. Here's the law. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. A person reaps what they sow. Now, how straightforward is that? That is easy to understand. The Apostle Paul is giving us a farming analogy to help us explain a spiritual reality. And the cool thing about this principle is it's so simple. You don't even have to be a farmer to understand it. I haven't farmed a day in my life, and I completely get what he's saying, 
right? And what he's telling us is the really basic truth that the seeds that you plant are going to determine the harvest that you grow. That's obvious, right? That what you sow is what you're going to reap. That what you sow is what you're going to grow. And you can't get around that. I know how this works. I've never farmed. But if you plant corn seeds and corn seeds and corn seeds and corn seeds, that means that down the road, if you expect to get a watermelon harvest, you're deceived because that's not how it works. That goes against God's created order of things. So the apostle Paul says, listen, this is the way it is spiritually. A person reaps what they sow. And so listen, The decisions that we make in this life, the habits that we throw down into our days, into our marriage, into our finances, into our relationships. The Bible says that those decisions, that those habits that we have are like seeds. They're the small things that grow into big things that reap fruit into our life, that bear fruit and reap a harvest into our life. And the Bible says, don't be mocked. This is the way it works. If you, if you expect to sow bad decisions in your financial world and you expect that you're going to have an awesome financial situation, don't be deceived. It's not the way it works. A man reaps what he sows. If you sow bad relational decisions, bad decisions in your marriage, if you're sowing bad things and bad things and you expect that you're going to reap something different, it's not how it works. Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. That's not how this thing works. Now, some of you are like, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought I was forgiven. I thought that God forgives me for all the bad things that I've done. And as I talked about earlier, if you accept Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins is entirely yours. That's entirely yours. But it does not exempt us. It does not exempt us from this principle that you will reap the consequences of the decisions that you make. And, and, and don't be mocked. You reap bad things, there's going to be a bad harvest. You reap good things, there's going to be a good, you sow good things, there's going to be a good harvest. A man will reap what he sows. Now, now listen, I know that even when I say that, some of you are like, dude, that is so obvious. That is so, we pay you for this? Seriously? This is what you got for us this morning? <laughs> Must be tired today, right? And, and listen, listen though, but even though that it sounds so obvious and it sounds so simple, and I know I'm not trying to insult your intelligence at all, but even though that's so obvious and it's so simple, So many of us live as if that's not true, and myself included. So many of us live our lives like we're exempt from this this principle that God has baked into spirituality and into morality. And the question is, why is it that something that's so obvious and something that's so simple is something that many of us totally ignore, or many of us live as if it's not true? And here's the reason I think that's the case. Look back at verse 7 again. I think this is why the Apostle Paul says this statement. Look again. He says in verse seven, do not be deceived. Now, why would the apostle Paul write that? Well, here's why. I have a theory. I think the reason the apostle Paul says don't be deceived is because we're often deceived. Again, very profound, right? This stuff is great. Uh, Do not be deceived, right? We can be deceived into believing that somehow we're exempt from this, that somehow this doesn't apply to us, or that somehow we, we don't need to live according to this principle. Now, what is it that deceives us then? If we can be so easily deceived, what deceives us? Well, I'll tell you what. I'll give you three things that I think deceive us. I think there's more than that, but I'll just name three. I'll do it quickly. Here's one of them. I think one of the ways we're deceived, and the Bible actually tells us this, is because of our own pride. Pride has a way of deceiving us. Um, And the Bible's really clear on this. In fact, I'll just read to you Obadiah. uh, There's only one chapter in Obadiah, but in verse three, this is what the Lord says to his people, flat out. The pride of your heart has deceived you. How straightforward is that? God says, listen, when you have pride in your heart, 
it's intoxicating. And, it, and, it, and, it, and you cannot see reality correctly, you cannot see yourself correctly, and you cannot see others correctly, and you can't see God correctly, because pride has a way of inflating our view of ourself. We think that we're more important than we are. We think that we're smarter than we are. We think that we know what's best for us. Hey, I don't need God to tell me what's right. I know what's best for me. I am the master of my own destiny, and I will determine what's right for me. We start to believe that we are exempt from the principles of God, We start to say, oh, you know what? Well, I've deceived my spouse. I've deceived my boss. I deceived my kids. I deceived my family. Surely I can deceive God. I can find a loophole around this. We start to feel terminally unique. Yeah, this applies to everyone else, but but I'm smarter than that. I'm going to get around this somehow, right? I'll figure out some way. The Bible says, man, your pride will deceive you. Your pride will, will inflate your view of yourself and it will cause you to see yourself in an unrealistic sense. You guys, I believe that one of the keys to smashing pride in our lives, one of the tickets to humility, is understanding that you and I are created and that we are not the creator. I don't know if this thought has ever occurred to you. This is a weird thought. It occurred to me last winter. This might sound real trippy to some of you, but, but I had this weird thought last winter. You guys remember last winter? It was like negative 1,000 for like 20 months straight. That might be an exaggeration, but it was really cold for a long time. This winter has been awesome so far, but last winter, man, it was just like brutal. And I remember towards the end, one of the things that happens to me, this might happen to some of you, is I'll get that seasonal depression thing where once you get towards the end of the winter, you just start to get really, really anxious and you just start to feel like you're losing motivation. You just want it to be warm so, 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 so bad. You guys remember last winter too? Every Sunday morning, there was a blizzard. And it was just terrible. And I just remember being like, oh, I can't do this anymore. So it actually got to the point where it was so bad that I did some research on it. And I went online and I looked up uh, seasonal depression. And I came to find out that this is a normal thing that happens to a lot of people. And it especially happens to people who live in part of the world where they don't get much exposure to the sun. So like, for example, in Alaska, in the wintertime when they don't have sunlight all the time, like they do in the summertime, um, they will, a lot of people will go through seasonal depression. In fact, that's why um, many uh, people in Alaska attribute the high suicide rate to seasonal depression that happens there. And why does that happen? Here's why it happens. It happens because we need the sun, and the sun gives us vitamins, and the sun gives us the nourishment that we need. So this, this is a thought that crossed my mind. Again, this might sound weird to some of you, but this is just what went through my mind. It occurred to me as I was reading this article, I was like, how weird is it that to be healthy and to be happy I need a star. Like, I, there is a burning ball of gas that is 90 million miles away, and I need it to live in the same way that the plants need it, in the same way that the animals need it. I need a star to be healthy and to be happy. And I, was, I just, this thought occurred to me. I thought, I was, man, I am just so confronted with my creatureliness. I am a created being, right? I'm like, I need water. To live, I need H2O. I need that chemical composition inside of my body to survive. I need oxygen to breathe. Just like a fish needs water, I am designed in such a way that I breathe in this atmosphere. You take me out of this atmosphere and I'm going to die. And I was just, I was so confronted with this, just this weird thought that I'm like, I'm a creature, man. I'm not the created one. And so for me to try to bypass what the creator himself has designed and has baked into creation and say, no, I know what's best for me. I determine what's right for me. It's so arrogant because I'm a created thing, right? You guys think about it from a cosmic level. Like I said, more 
uh, stars in the universe than grains of sand in the sea. If you think about that for just one second, we are beyond microscopic. We are so small. We are so tiny. We are so dependent on what God has created. And that's why the Bible says, listen, your, 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 your arrogance will deceive you. And, and you will be deceived by your pride. And that's why the Apostle Paul in this passage says, don't be deceived. You can't mock God. A person reaps what they sow. You're not getting around this. There's not a loophole. There's not, there's not some clause that you're going to find, loophole clause you're going to find in this thing. Don't be deceived. So one way we're deceived is by our pride. Here's another way we're deceived. Did you know that one of the ways we're deceived is by our knowledge? Our knowledge can actually deceive us. And, uh, and, you know, it's interesting. You hear a message like this. Some of you are, even as I'm saying this, you know, a man reaps what he sows. You guys are like, oh, I know that. I know that. Know that, right? In fact, I heard a sermon about it a couple years ago, and it was way better than your sermon. Way more awesome. The pastor was way more attractive, right? Which is not possible, by the way. <laughs> Speaking of pride, right? And, uh, and, but you're like, you know, I know that. Know it. Got it. And um, that's great. Hey, knowing things is great. Awesome to know things. But did you know the Bible says that if, you, if we fill ourselves with knowledge, but we don't do anything about it, that that can be very dangerous and very deceiving? That's why in the book of James, it actually says this. It says, um, don't simply be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves. You got to be doers of it also. So you guys, what we're doing here this morning, you know, this can actually be kind of dangerous. It can be dangerous because we can come together and we can hear God's word and we can become really convicted. And we can say, oh man, that's so convicting. Wow, that's real convicting. I felt so convicted today. In fact, that sermon was so convicting. I'm going to go home. I'm going to listen to it later just so I can feel convicted again, right? And then I'm going to find my sister because she really needs to be convicted. I'm going to give her that sermon. And then we're going to get in a life group and we're going to get together. We're just going to talk about how we're so convicted. Oh, that was so convicting. You guys remember that last? That was convicting, right? And, uh, and look, hey man, praise God, right? Praise God that the Holy Spirit convicts our heart and prods us towards action. But listen to me, if conviction doesn't lead to action. It is deception. You're deceived. It's not enough to know the truth. You have to do something about it. Okay. It's not enough to know this principle. You have to leverage it. And so to simply say, yeah, I know that. I know that. I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is it showing up in your life? Is it showing up in your life at all? Right. And, and so he says, don't be deceived. So, so pride deceives us. Knowledge can deceive us. I'll give you one more. False teaching can deceive us false teaching. Some of you are like, that sounds like a weird thing. Is it sounds like some kind of archaic religious term, false. Are we talking about heresy? Is that what we're talking about? And uh, let me just clarify it for you a little bit. What false teaching is, according to the Bible, false teaching is any teaching that's contrary to the sound teaching of the scripture. Now, that's what false teaching is. And as it relates to this matter, you guys know as well as I do that there are certain things that our culture teaches us that go directly against what this says. So for example, our culture, the consensus belief is that morality is relative. Spirituality is relative. And even though the physical world has certain irrefutable laws, the laws of, of thermodynamics, the laws of physics, the law of gravity, the spiritual world is not the same. And so everyone can determine what they want to do on their own. What's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. And I can do whatever I want with whomever I want, whenever I want. And it doesn't really matter as long as nobody gets hurt and everything is going to be fine. The Bible says that is not true. That, that in the same way that in the created world, there are certain laws that God has placed in place that, are, that you cannot violate regardless of your opinion. It's the same thing with morality and it's the same thing with spirituality. 
And we live in a culture that teaches us that you and I are the helpless victims of the circumstances and the cultural conditioning that happens. And so if something bad happens in our lives, if there's some bad result, it's not your fault. It's your parents' fault. It's your genetics' fault. It's the government's fault. It's your spouse's fault. It's the cultural conditioning, the things that happen to you. That's whose fault it is. Now, let me just be clear on that. There is some legitimacy to that. Because the truth is that each and every single one of us either benefit from or are burdened by the harvest of another person's life. That's undeniable. Every single one of us have either benefited from or have been burdened by the wise or the foolish decisions that our parents have made. That's true for all of us. Your parents made good financial decisions. They instilled good financial principles in you. You probably have benefited from that. If they made bad financial choices and they gave you bad financial patterns of life, you probably have been burdened by that and you have been blessed or burdened by another person's harvest. That's true for all of us, right? Some, some of you have been blessed or you've been burdened by the decisions and the harvest of your spouse or your child or whatever it might be. And so you can't deny that. You can't deny that. But listen to me, listen to me. Just because something may have happened to you, just because maybe you were burdened by something that someone else has done or you've been blessed by something that someone else has done, that doesn't mean that you and I are exempt from this principle. It doesn't mean that we, that we can shirk responsibility and pass it off onto someone else and just to, just to shift, blame shift all the time. It's someone else's fault. It's someone else's fault. No, no, no. The Bible says, listen, listen, who's the person who should take responsibility for your actions? Point to the person who should take responsibility for your actions. Don't point to your spouse. I saw you do that, right? So <laughs> don't point at me either. I'm not doing it, right? Each one of us, the Bible says, each man, each person will reap what he sows. Bible tells us. And so that's why the Apostle Paul says, don't be deceived, because we can be deceived by our pride, by our knowledge, by blame shifting. When the Bible says, don't be deceived, God will not be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. Now, here's the thing I love about this principle. Love this. The thing I love about this principle is that it's neither good or bad. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just a thing thing. This is a principle. And you can either ignore it and suffer or you can leverage it and be blessed as a result of it, right? Just like every principle. You can ignore gravity and die, or you can leverage it and, and use it to your advantage in certain circumstances. And that's the same thing with this principle. Depending on how you use this principle, you can either uh, be blessed, blessed every time, or this can bite you every time. It all depends on what you do with it. So the real question then is this. How do we live our lives in such a way? Because you're not going to change this principle. Don't be deceived. God's not going to be mocked. You can't get around this, right? Okay, okay. So the real question then is, how do we leverage it then? Can't get around it. How do I leverage it? How do I use this principle in such a way that I can glean from it, that I can earn it instead of pay it? And, and, and here's where the Apostle Paul is going to come in and help us. He's going to show us, and God loves us so much, you guys. God loves us so much that he actually tells us how we can leverage this. And I want to show you what he says. Look at verse 8. The Apostle Paul goes on. He says this. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper moment, for the proper time, we will all reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, I love what the Apostle Paul says here. This is so helpful, you guys. The Apostle Paul says, okay, God won't be deceived. Not going to deceive him. He won't be mocked. Okay, good. 
A man's going to reap what he sows. There's the principle. We got it. He says, now here's how you can leverage it. He says, in, in a person's life, each one of us in our lives, it's almost like every decision that we make, every habit that we instill, we are sowing seeds into one of two fields. There are two fields that we're sowing into. One field he calls the flesh. Now, what is that all about? What is the flesh? Well, briefly, some of you probably know that the word flesh in the Bible is always talking about the sinful nature. It's referring to the selfish impulses and desires that each one of us has. Every one of us has this. Selfish impulses and desires that we have that go against what God desires for us. Okay, so simply put, that's the flesh. It's I'm looking out for myself. I'm not thinking about other people. I'm not thinking about God. I don't care what everyone else says. I'm going to do what I want. That's the flesh. The Apostle Paul says there's another field, though, and that field is called the spirit. Now, what's that all about? Well, some of you probably know this. When a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they become a Christian. I know not everyone has done that, but for those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says one of the results of that decision is that the Holy Spirit of God comes up and takes residency inside of us. And so now we have two natures that are within us, the sin nature and that of the spirit. And the spirit wants to please God. The spirit wants to to deny the flesh in order to please God. I'm not going to do the thing I naturally want to do because I want to follow what God wants me to do. I want to love other people and I want to love God. I want to do what he says. That's the spirit, simply put, right? What the apostle Paul says is, as we sow into these different fields, depending on which one you're sowing into, it is going to lead to a trajectory. It's going to reap a harvest. And what's the harvest? He says, whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap corruption or destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Now, some of you are like, what is that? Is that like heaven and hell? Is that what that's talking about? Is Paul saying that if we do good things and not bad things, that we're going to go to heaven? Is that what he's saying? No. He spent the entire book of Galatians telling us that wasn't the case. What I want you to see is what he's talking about here has nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to do with our life here and now. This principle applies to us whether you're a Christian or whether you're not. Here's what he's saying. If you sow to please the flesh... From the flesh, you'll reap destruction or corruption. Now, the word destruction there literally means to decay. It means something is destroyed. And so if you sow to please the flesh, it's going to lead to destruction. What kind of destruction? Destruction of your marriage. Destruction of your relationships. Destruction of your finances. Destruction of your joy. Destruction of the peace that God, all these things that God wants for you will be destroyed if you sow to please the flesh. But if you sow to please the spirit, the Bible says that will lead to eternal life. Now, eternal life, let me just clarify this. In the Greek, it's actually the word zoe. And what it means is it's not talking about pie in the sky after we die, heaven. It's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a quality of existence that is available to every Christian through the spirit of God the fulfillment in life that God desires for us. And so if you sow to please the spirit, it leads to a quality of life that God wants for you in your marriage and in your finances and in your relationships. And so the Bible says you have to decide which one of these you sow into and what you sow is what you reap. And you can either pay this or you can earn this. You can either ignore this and suffer or you can leverage this and be blessed as a result of it. Some of you guys, even as I'm talking about this, you're like, I think I'm tracking with you, but I'm kind of having a hard time. So let me put it another way. So um, one of the habits that I've been trying to instill, we've been talking about habits. One of the habits that I've been trying to instill in my family recently is, um, is a habit of once a week 
and I don't do this perfectly at all, but we try to get together, just, just me and I have two little boys, a five and a six-year-old, and we try to get together once a week for a designated period of time and talk about God's stuff, right? So we call it, it's discipleship, right? So I sit down with my boys and we'll open the Bible and we'll try to talk about God, what could be really challenging because they're five and six right now. And, and, but we'll try to do this. So once a week, we'll sit down. I'm like, hey, guys, you ready for some God time? And they're, they're always like, oh, I don't know. You know, sometimes they want to, sometimes they don't. I usually give them candy if they do. And, uh, and so we, we were getting ready to do God time. One of the things that we do right now is we memorize scripture. So we'll memorize Bible verses. And one of the Bible verses that we started memorizing a couple months ago was Galatians 6, 8, right? Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. We actually put it to like a melody. And so the boys will dance around the kitchen and they'll be, whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction, you know? Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And we're having a good time with this. But it occurred to me as they're dancing around the kitchen saying this verse, it occurred to me, they have no idea what the heck that means. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to try to explain it to them. I was like, that's going to be, they're five and six. I'm like, I don't know how to do this. So I I was like, I'll just give it a try. So I had them sit at the table, at the kitchen table. I got out some paper and some pencils. We like to draw. So I got some paper and pencils and I was like, okay, um, how do I explain this? So I said, boys, I said, do you guys know what sowing and reaping is? And they both just looked at me and they're like, no. You know, and I was like, okay, that's not going to work. So I was like, let me, let me try a different angle. So I said, uh, okay, I got it. I said, boys. I said, do you guys know what it means to make a decision? What it means to make a choice? And they're like, well, sure. You know, it's when you have to pick between two things. I was like, right, right. I said, okay. I said, so you know how sometimes we go to the park and we walk down the path at the park? And I said, and all of a sudden it splits into two paths and there's a fork in the road and we have to decide which way to go? They're like, yeah. I said, okay, so in a lot of ways, that's what it means to make a decision. So I drew that on my piece of paper. It kind of looked like this. I didn't use a PowerPoint. Um, but it kind of looked like this, right? And I said, so in life, we go through life and everything's going okay. And then all of a sudden we're faced with a decision, right? And we can decide to go one of two ways. I said, and the Bible says that oftentimes we're faced with the decision of either doing what we want or doing what God wants. Because a lot of times we don't agree, right? And I said, so for example, for example, I said, let's say that you and your brother were playing and, um, and then you wanted a toy your brother had. And so you wanted to hit him. Right? Now, the reason I use this, this analogy is because it was extremely relevant to the situation that we were facing moments earlier. And so I was like, so imagine that, that we were in that circumstance. I said, now, you know that God doesn't want you to hit your brother, right? God doesn't want you to hit your brother. They're like, yeah, I know. It's like, God wants you to love your brother. I know. Okay. I said, but if you, let's say that you, you, you feel like you want to hit your brother, but you decide I'm not going to hit him. Or you decide it's, I'm going to hit him. I'm going to just forget God. I'm going to hit him because I want to. I said, the Bible says, if you do that, you're pleasing your flesh. You're making a decision to sow to please your flesh. I said, now let's say that you feel like you want to hit your brother. And, and you, all of a sudden, you realize that's not what God wants me to do. And, and I know God loves me and I know what he wants what's best for me. And so you know what? I'm going to deny my flesh and I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I said, the Bible says that's sowing to please the spirit, right? And then I looked at my boys and they were drawing at this point. I don't think they were paying attention to me. And I said, which way do you guys think is better, to sow the flesh or to sow to the spirit? And of course, this is God time, so they have the right answer, right? They're like, God, you know, Jesus. I was like, I don't think they're tracking with me, but I kept going anyway. And I said, I said, okay. I said, well, the problem is, guys, I said, the problem is once you make a decision to follow God or to follow your flesh, the problem is that not too long after, in fact, many times, moments later, you're going to have another opportunity, another decision. 
And I said, and you're going to have to decide if you're going to follow God or you're going to follow the Spirit. And I said, boys, your whole life is a series of decisions and habits that you're going to have to make day in and day out. They're like, it's like seed that you're planting. And I said, and what the Bible says is that those two, depending on, on, on the decisions that you make, it's going to lead to two different outcomes. And if you constantly sow to please your flesh and sow to please your flesh and do what you want and do what you want and ignore God, I said, that's going to lead to destruction. And I said, it's going to lead to the destruction of the things that God wants for you. And God loves you. And he doesn't want destroyed relationships and he doesn't want destroyed finances. And he doesn't want that kind of destroy. He loves you, right? And I said, but man, if you sow to please the spirit and you make decisions that please God, even when it's contrary to what you think, I said, that's going to lead to what the Bible calls eternal life. And what that's talking about is the fullness of life that God desires for you. God wants you to be fully human. He loves you so much. that This is what, but at this point, they're not even paying attention, but I'm preaching now, right? I'm on my feet and I'm like, come on guys, get up. You know, let's hear it. Amen. I'm going after it, right? And finally, I'm done drawing all this out and they're kind of paying attention, kind of not. And I was like, I don't think they're getting this. So I just asked them. I said, so uh, I said, guys, I said, what do you think? What do you think about all this? And my oldest son, so proud of this kid. My oldest son, he goes, uh, hey, dad. I go, what is it, buddy? And he goes, so the other day when we were at the store and I lied to you. So we had this incident at a store a couple days before that. He says, when I lied to you at the store, he goes, I was sowing to please the flesh, wasn't I? And I was like, Got a little theologian over here, you know what I mean? I was like, what'd you say? He's like, I was sowing to please the flesh, wasn't I? I was like, yeah, yeah, you were, buddy. I said, that, that's right, that's right. And I said, what could you have done? What do you think you could have done if you wanted to get back on the right path again? And he goes, well, I could have told you the truth. And if I would have told the truth, I would have been obeying the spirit. And I was like, shut your face. <laughs> Where are you getting this from? And then he said to me, he goes, and dad, I think the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ is what has earned my salvation. <laughs> he didn't say that last part, right? It was awesome. So I was like, that's awesome. And then, and then I looked at his picture, and I'll show you the picture. This was the picture that he was drawing when we kind of looked at it. He drew the decision tree, this, and you can see he had spirit and God up there and the flesh and I. And I'm not sure what that is over there. He drew that. And, and then I thought, this is awesome. They're totally getting it. And so I looked at my youngest son, my five-year-old. I said, buddy, what do you think? And this is what he said. And I'm going to quote him because I wanted to make sure I got it right so I could tell my wife. This is what he said. I said, what do you think about this? And he said, I think the frog is going to build his own parachute. (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry, what was that? He goes, I think the frog is going to build his own parachute. And then I looked at his piece of paper and here's what he had been drawing. (laughs) He was just drawing frogs, parachutes, I don't know. So apparently the age that you can understand this principle somewhere between five and six. I don't really know how that works. But you guys see how it works? You see what Paul's saying? He's saying, listen, this isn't about salvation. Salvation is off the table. If you follow Jesus, you have forgiveness of sins. But don't be deceived. Your actions will reap consequences. God wants you to live a life where you flourish, where you have eternal, a quality of life that is a flourishing. God wants that for your marriage and he wants that for your finances and he wants that in your relationship. He wants this for you. But if we sow to, reap destruction, sow to reap the flesh, we will reap destruction. That's what the Bible tells us. Don't be deceived. God won't be mocked. This is the way this works. A man reaps what he sows. So you guys, in our marriages, when we sow to the flesh, when we sow selfish decisions, when we sow competition, 
when we sow anger and distrust, when we sow and sow and sow these seeds, do not be deceived. It will reap a harvest, okay? And it will reap destruction. What kind of destruction? Man, destruction of intimacy, destruction of love, destruction of the, the, the kind of marriage God wants for you. Not because he's judging you. It has nothing to do with that. It's because he loves you, right? But listen, if you sow to please the spirit, man, if you make selfless investments, if you try to love your wife like Christ loved the church, and if you respect your husband the way Ephesians talks about, and even though it goes against your natural, your natural disposition, if you sow to please the spirit, the Bible says you're going to reap eternal life. You're going to have a fullness in your marriage that God has designed for you. You guys, in our, in our, just think about this, in our, in our relationships with other people, you sow bitterness, you sow grudges, you sow unforgiveness. Don't be deceived. You're going to reap what you sow. And it's going to reap destruction. Destruction of your relationships. Listen, destruction of your health. Some of you are like, oh, I can't forgive. You don't understand. I can't forgive. I'm going to make them pay. No, you're not. You're going to pay. Because you reap what you sow. And listen, if you decide to sow to the spirit, you sow forgiveness and you sow reconciliation and you sow loving your enemies, the Bible says that's going to lead to something, man. And it's going to lead to something good, something that God wants for you in your business practices, man. For some of you, you're like, God's God, I, I worship God in church, but when I'm in business, I'm, it's my own thing. And look, you might, sow, you might sow seeds of cutting corners and sow seeds of dishonesty and sow seeds of, and listen, you might have everyone else fooled. You might have your family fooled. You might have your boss fooled. You might, have, you might be thinking, this doesn't apply to me. Listen, you can fool all the people some of the time. You can fool some of the people all the time. You can fool God none of the time. Don't be deceived. God won't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. But man, if you sow to the spirit and you, you say, I'm going to be honest in my business practices, even when everyone else isn't, even when everyone else is cutting corners, I'm still going to do what's right. The Bible says that's going to reap you a harvest. And don't you give up because in due time you will see it. That's what the Bible tells us in this life. And I could go on and on and on about our leisure habits. And I could go on and on about our financial habits. And I could go on and on about our health habits. All that to ask you this question. What are you sowing? What kind of seed are you sowing? And your decisions and your habits. What investments are you making? And then here's a better question. What do you want to harvest? Because don't be deceived. What you sow is what you're going to reap. What you plant is what you're going to harvest, right? Listen, the story of your life, the story of your life is determined by the substance of your days. You are telling the story of your life one decision and one habit at a time. And those accumulate like compound interest over time and it makes the story of your life. And if you take this next week of your life, all of your habits and all of your decisions, and you multiply that by the compound interest over time of the rest of your life, and you expect to come to some radically different conclusion, don't be deceived. God won't be mocked. The man reaps what he sows. So you guys, in this series, I want to encourage you to plug in for the rest of the time because the rest of the time what we're going to do is we're going to take this principle and we're going to talk about how do we make good decisions and good habits that please God? How do we do that? How do we, how do we, find, how do we instill habits to our life that bring us to the fulfillment in life that God desires for us? How do we do that? And we're going to look at some, some of them are, are probably less obvious than you might think, but we're going to talk about some of those things together. Listen, I know for some of you, as you're hearing this, some of you guys, even as I'm talking, you're thinking to yourself, man, I wish I could have heard this 20 years ago. Man, I wish I could have heard this 10 years ago. 
man, I wish I could have heard this last year. Some of you are, might be thinking that right now. In fact, some of you right now, maybe you're a high school or you're a college student, and there are people who are in this room who are twice your age, and they wish to God that they were back in your shoes again so they could hear this message because they wish that someone would have told them. But here's the truth, is that someone probably did tell us. And all of us know this. You reap what you sow. And so it's not about knowing it. It's about what you do with it. And in 2016, man, put this thing into practice. For some of you guys, you feel the weight of this conversation. And even as I'm talking, you, you, maybe, you're, maybe you're kind of wiggling in your chair because you're like, look, I have made some decisions in my life. I have reaped certain things. I mean, I have sown certain things and I have reaped certain things I am not proud of. And for some of you right now, you're thinking about that and you're like, I just, I just hate that. And I, I wish I could change it. Listen, here's, here's the good news. The good news is this, is that you can, start, you can start sowing differently in your life. And I believe that when we do that, that God is so gracious that it can, he can actually take the disasters of our life and he can take the hard things in our life and he can redeem them for his good. I love this. There's an old Chinese proverb. I love it. It says the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. And for some of you, man, maybe now, start sowing something different. Look, if you want to harvest something different, you've got to start sowing something different. Different decisions, different habits. Maybe for you today, for the first time, you're like, okay, I'm open to this. And so journey through us in this series as we talk about more about what these habits look like. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Let's pray. Well, God, I'm so thankful that you are so gracious to us that you didn't leave us in the dark. You told us flat out that this is a principle and you told us how we can leverage it for our good. And Father, I know you love us. You care for us. You don't want to see us get hurt. You don't want to see us destroy ourselves. But the truth is, Father, that, that all of us will stray away from what you desire for us and go our own way. And so I pray that today, Father, you would help us, Lord. Help us to sow good seed into our marriages, into our children, into our families, into our finances, into our lives. Because, Lord, we can't mock you. We're going to reap what we sow. And I'm so thankful that your grace covers us, regardless of where we've been and what we've done. You forgive us and you offer us eternal life in Jesus Christ. And that that happens regardless. But, Father, in this life, You've given us this amazing reality that we reap what we sow. You've told us this, Father. So I pray that you would help us to sow wisely. God, you love each person in this room, and I know that you want to see us experience what it means to be fully human as you have designed us to be, to have the unshakable joy that comes in knowing you and in following you, to have a, a peace that transcends all understanding that comes when we live in obedience to you. So, Father, lead us to that. We ask you these things and we say thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.